Thank you all for tuning in to the Josh Terry Podcast, brought to you by Raising Grace Studios. Today's show is brought to you by one sponsor and one sponsor only, Two Pilots Distillery. The rest of you sponsors can hold on till the next show. Uh, the reason why is you're going to find out in just a second. The show was put together by Two Pilots Distillery, and uh, they're here today. So, you know, rest of you guys, if you want your own show, bring your asses on for a good cause. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our management and distribution company, uh, Red Circle. Thank you for changing my pocket. I'm not going to forget about y'all because you signed my paychecks. Uh, I would like to introduce y'all to Mr. Kurt and Ms. Renee with Two Pilots Distillery and have them tell you why we're doing this show today real fast and then introduce everyone that is on the panel. Hey, good morning. I'm Renee McDonald. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself. And I'm Kurt McDonald with Two Pilots Distillery. Um, I'm also with Mission 22. Mission 22 is a nonprofit organization that brings awareness to veteran suicide. We also offer programs and treatment to veterans, their families, um, their children uh, that are struggling with PTSD, TBI, um, MST. So I, Kurt and I, decided um, a few weeks ago, we were perusing Facebook because apparently, according to my old older children that that's for old people now Facebook is an old people's platform but I was on Facebook and one of the pilots that Kurt served with had shared a post it was a, a GoFundMe post and initially I just kind of glanced over it and kept on moving and then something caught me and I went back to it it was a GoFundMe post for Lance Corporal Stephen Wayne Stewart he served, um, he was deployed to Iraq in 2007 and 2008 with Alpha Company 4th Combat Engineering Battalion out of Charleston, West Virginia. The GoFundMe post was to offer him a burial and a service and take his body back to his final resting ground. Um, Lance Corporal Stephen committed suicide. He took his life. I hate to say committed, but he took his life down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, he was homeless. He had a family with three beautiful kids, a brother, a mom, a stepdad, and a dad. And as I read that story, it just, it touched me because I thought, my gracious, this gentleman that served our country, that went over to Iraq, that was, um, that fought for our freedom, passed away lonely, hopeless, completely in despair. And I said, you know, we work with Mission 22. We talk to people all day long. But for some reason, this story um, grabbed at my heartstrings more than some of the other stories that we've heard in the last few years. And I just said, we have got to do something because no one should pass away lonely and hopeless, not knowing that there's somewhere, somebody that's willing to help. So I reached out to Josh and I kind of told Kurt, you're getting on board. And he's like, whoa, 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 I'm too busy. And I said, nope, let's do this. Yeah, uh, the second you told me any about it, like it's, uh, I get pissed off about stuff very easily. And uh, the second I started getting to know you guys and the second that I got a little bit more information from organizations about, especially the, the veterans that are homeless. And then you find out that how many of those homeless vets are, have mental health issues is uh 
and then the the VA that they slipped through the, that they slipped through the cracks. And yeah, I'm already a softy. Like I think there's not anybody listening to shows knows that my fat ass don't cry, that I don't get upset or whatever. But there's got to be something. There's got to be something more. There's got to be more awareness brought to it. There's got to be more people with boots on the ground. There's got to be more people that had a lot of fire under their ass. It says, hey, you know, homeless ought to be talked to anyway, and there ought to be help given to homeless, period. But if it's a homeless vet, I'm not trying to say that regular homeless isn't one issue too, but a homeless vet, they're not ought to be a damn homeless vet. I mean, there shouldn't. And the fact that I would, I could see how it would hit you a little bit harder. So I, um, when that happened and I reached out to you, I, I posted, we have a Jeep, Battle Frog. We use our Jeep, it's wrapped. Um, I think everybody probably on this call has seen pictures of our Jeep. It's like my yeah. baby. Um, I take pictures of my Jeep and my dog more than I do my own kids. But I posted on Battle Frog's page, you know, hey, we're looking for veterans that are willing to talk. Tell us what works for you, what didn't work. Let's, let's talk about it because you never know who may be listening to this podcast six months from now, a year from now. So I posted it on the Mission 22 chat page, and that's where Stephanie, Kimberly, and Stephen uh, joined in. Stephen is a South Carolina state leader. Kimberly is the Louisiana state leader. And Stephanie is an ambassador with a son um, that's a, a veteran, or is he active duty still? No, he is a veteran. Okay. Um, and through our Battle Frog page, we were introduced to Jason. Um, and Jason brings something very interesting to the table because I'm not going to speak on the VA. I'm not a veteran. I only know what I know through Kurt. Um, but Jason has received services from the VA that others may not know of. And and Jason, I'm not going to talk for you. I'll let you talk for yourself. But if you want to give everybody kind of a brief overview of what we briefly discussed. Yes, ma'am. So my name is Jason Penrod. I uh, I have been going through uh, treatment with the VA for the past probably three months uh, with esketamine. Uh, it's just through this company called Spravato. They offer a nasal spray. And basically, they just took the ketamine form and they, they, uh, they introduced it to a clinical trial. And... Uh, Basically, you just go to a hotel or not a hotel, but the hospital room setting for a couple hours and they give you this nasal spray. And it's, it's almost like a, um, a little is uh, get a little bit of dissociation with it. And pretty much it, it treats depression, anxiety, PTSD. And I think I was doing it for about three weeks uh, and it, it kind of really opened my mind up a little bit. It took a little bit to get used to a little bit of the setting, but it really helps you de de decompartmentalize everything that you've been holding back for such a long time. So um, one of the things that you have to do, you have to uh, have tried, I think they, they kept throwing antidepressants at me nonstop. And I'm just not the kind of guy that keeps taking these pills if they're not working. You know, most of these pills make you feel like you're in a fog. They make you feel like you're not yourself. And some of them even made me feel worse. So uh, this ketamine treatment I've started, it's, it's really helped. And, uh, you know, it's made me feel closer to my family, my friends. I'm not so uh, standoffish anymore. And it's like um, I, I do work with some people and I know veterans. Uh, Kurt and I actually know some of the same people, which is pretty crazy because the, the frog world is a little small. But uh, um, I'm just trying to get the word out there to help anybody, because like you said, nobody knows about this ketamine treatment. 
it's something that's new to the VA and uh, it's really helped me out uh, tremendously and I'll do whatever I can to get the word out there to help, uh, help other veterans. What does it do for you, actually, Jason? Like, can you kind of go into a little bit more detail? <laughs> have you ever heard? Of, have you ever heard of ketamine? First of all, uh, I've heard of ketamine, but for me to sit here and tell you that I know exactly what it is would be a lie. Man, I'll be honest with you. I was 18 years old, and uh, this chick at a party had a little thing of ketamine, and you know, special K is what I was sitting here thinking. Special K is what I was sitting here thinking of. Yeah. Okay, that's exactly what it is, right? But okay. now you know, they, they, the lab has taken it and they have put it into a nasal format, and they have. Uh, uh, diluted it just enough and they use it for depression, PTSD and anxiety treatment now. And also with pain treatment, chronic pain, which I also suffer with because I'm a, uh, airframes mechanic being a Marine Corps 15 years. Uh, so, so that's basically what it is, man. So you go in, you take this nasal spray and you kind of sit back. It's not like a trippy effect, like, uh, doing mushrooms or anything like that, like a cyclostillin treatment, or they got this other treatment where they shoot you in the neck with a needle. Um, it's, it's just, it's all, it's all kind of laid back, man, but I got a really good nurse, dude. He's a, he's a former Marine and, uh, he's a funny dude, man. And, uh, he keeps me entertained. Right. Cause you know, those psychiatrists at the hospital, they're fucking quacks, dude. <laughs> and, uh, they just, they want to nitpick every single thing and take everything out of context, you know, and it's, it's really where the nurses at the VA, they got some good ones now. They're, uh, it's, I, I go to La Jolla here in San Diego and that's where I do my treatment. And, um, they make it a lot better, dude. So it, for me, like, uh, for instance, you don't really trip, but you'll, you'll take the nasal spray, you kind of sit back and uh, you'll kind of, it's not like an out of, out of, out of your body experience, but it's, it's almost like if anybody's done mushrooms, uh, had the cyclostillin effect, it's kind of right before you start to kick into the wavy, waviness of it and you go into your trip. It's not psychedelic, nothing like that. It's just more of a, you get a moment of clarity, I guess I could say, and you feel at peace. And everything that has been weighing down on you tremendously, you just it just you feel uplifted. It's almost it's a little euphoric. Uh, I cannot tell you how happy I am to hear that the VA is doing that. I don't know how uh, weird any of the rest of y'all are that go like into like dive in stuff. Uh, there is a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm out there. For Kurt and Renee know that I'm out there and like a lot of my beliefs and shit. But uh, do any of y'all know what ayahuasca is? Yes. All right. So ayahuasca, they say that ayahuasca is like one of the few things in this world that can repair your brain, that, that, that it actually makes stuff fire back. And there is uh, there's a HBO thing. Um, everybody's watched probably real sports or whatever on HBO, right? They did um, a thing with MMA fighters and uh, ex-NFL players. Um, it came out last year at some point in time. And it's where this doctor and uh, some more people took these guys to a retreat to where they did ayahuasca the way that it was meant, way Indians or whoever it was have been doing it for thousands and thousands of years, right? And you had these people that had been battling depression and anxiety and whatever for forever. And they did one ayahuasca treatment. And when they came out of the ayahuasca treatment, it was where it was like if their depression was at 100 and their anxiety was at 100, after the first treatment, it was at a 50. And it wasn't, it was nothing. Like when to hear that the government or the VA or whatever it is is starting to use things like that instead of opioids, it, it, it's great because I, it's all, I mean, not, I'm sure it's not all natural. It's been synthesized and everything where you don't get the trip effect and everything out of it. But those things are what are going to make your, your brain start firing again. 
Yeah, man, you're absolutely right. And uh, the ayahuasca thing, I actually listened to a podcast with Ron White. Mm-hmm. And he used it to uh, kick back his drinking. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, along with the military veteran community, uh, even myself included, man, we, we drink a lot. And it just is it's something that we become accustomed to. And we don't consider ourselves alcoholics, right? But then when I go to the VA and I fit and you got to fill out a lot of forms for this, man, you got to every time I go in, man, I fill out a questionnaire, probably takes me 20 something minutes because I'm part of the study. And uh, we don't as much as I don't want to admit it. You know, I guess I am an alcoholic. Alcoholism runs in my family. And a lot, just along with this treatment, um, I'm definitely I mean, I still drink here and there. I had, a, I had a glass of wine with dinner last night, man. Me and my daughters had a nice dinner. Um, you just don't get belligerent. You don't get drunk. Uh, you just you just feel a little more freedom involved with life and you can actually sit back and enjoy it. Do you feel like it's reset you? Because the stuff that I've read about ayahuasca and everything else, it's like some of the stuff that you thought that you used to need, like it kind of, you don't need it anymore. Like the euphoria of those things that you used to get, you realize that it's this kind of something that was taught to you that, and then the fog has kind of faded to where it's like, I don't, why the hell did I ever need this shit? You're absolutely right, man. I'll give you a perfect example of uh, how it's helped me. So I just did my annual review at work. Uh, uh, I work for SpaceX right now up in L.A., man. Uh, oh, that's cool. One of Elon Musk's companies, right? So it's a very high, um, high performing job. I'm a structures technician. I'm working on the new Starship. I was working on Falcon 9 as quality insurance. So it's very fast paced, man. I work with a lot of intellectual people. And uh, I just had my one my one on one, my annual review with my supervisor. And this dude, he told me, man, he goes, man, I don't know what happened to you, dude. I had hip surgery last year, and I've been out for a while. He goes, but you've done a complete 180, man. He goes, your attitude's changed. You're leading people around here. He goes, you know, uh, I could definitely see you you being in a leadership role very soon. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing, man. You're hustling. I can see a dramatic change. And he's a Marine also. You know, I'm very upfront with my supervisor. I have a great career I work with, amazing people. And um, I told him straight up, man, I was doing this ketamine treatment. And, you know, we all know vets. We've all been to war. Uh, it's, it's just something that, uh, is, we don't really like to talk about, but, um, that alone right there, it was enough for me. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, I've been, co- I've been, uh, I, I became the assistant coach for my daughter's softball team and actually to be able to, uh, to, uh, coach these little girls, man, eight year old, nine year old girls and, uh, get on their level, you know, and uh, it's just, uh, it's really helped me, man. So the reset, I think it's 100% true. I highly recommend that as ketamine treatment to anybody out there. And anytime you would like uh, for me to discuss it with you or give some information on it, uh, I'll be more than happy to help out any better. I don't care. Nothing, nothing. I'm holding back. Everything's on the table for me, you know, so uh, I'm an open book. Just let me know. Jason, I like the hell out of you, dude. I think I think I could probably do a whole show with each one of y'all. But, but Jason, me, I just want to hear about SpaceX, too. Um, no, it's just it really – I'm so against opioids. I think everybody that's on this chat is probably so against opioids that it's ridiculous, right? And the fact that they've been pushed on not just veterans, but our society for the past 60, 70 years is a fucking joke. And there's been natural things that could have been given to each and every one of us, Uh, even as far as cannabis goes. Cannabis helps so much of the mental health issues that could have been... (laughs) It could have helped besides for taking an antidepressant. And now that you've got stuff like what he's taking with the ketamine treatments, man, that's just, oh, that's so good. It makes me happy. It makes me happy. Um, so tell me some more about uh, some more of these people in here, Kurt and Renee. Jason, it was a pleasure, by the way, dude. What, what you, I'm going to have to get you to hop back on here in a little bit, but I'm going to try to spit everybody in today. No problem, man. Nice to meet you, Terry. You too, brother. Josh, thank you. 
Uh, Ms. Kim is the Louisiana State Leader for Mission 22. Um, Ms. Kim and I have known each other for a few years now. She was pr recently promoted from an ambassador to a state leader, which that's a, that's a huge feat. Um, that means that you can go out to events and talk about Mission 22. And that also is a huge leadership role because you know, you're helping people. Well, Kim, uh, how'd you get started? Yeah, with absolutely. How'd you get started with Mission 22 and everything? Well, um, <clears throat> I'm in recovery. Uh, I've been sober now a little over a year, uh, by the grace of God. And so I, uh, around 2018, I found out about the statistics. I didn't know that 22 veterans succumb to suicide every day. I didn't know that at that time. And when I found out, I was completely devastated. And so I looked for ways that I can help. And one of the first things I found was Mission 22. And uh, when I got involved with them, man, there was, there was no turning back for me. Like everybody that's involved with Mission 22 is genuine and they're passionate about what they do, you know, as am I. And so, uh, yeah, I just, I knew I needed to do something. Uh, Mission 22 was the best fit for me. I'm passionate about it. I love it to death. And so uh, I just, you know, I want to help my fellow vets. I'm a vet as well. I was in the Navy, uh, operations specialist. I was stationed in Guam. Uh, I also went through an MST, which is uh, military sexual trauma. I wanted to do 20 years. I wanted to retire, but I was forced out. They gave me a medical discharge, medical with honorable discharge. And, you know, I just, uh, when I got out, I just really didn't know what to do with myself. And that's where the, uh, the addiction and alcoholism came in, you know, and not only did Mission 22 uh, give me something to do, like it gave me something to live for. And so it gave me purpose. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> well, first off, congratulations on uh, recovery. Thank you. Thank you. You're, you're very welcome. What, do you, what are you saying, Renee? That is, that's kind of a reoccurring thing that we see and we hear. When you get out of the military, you lose that camaraderie. You lose that structured schedule. And then you turn to other things. And then it's like this snowball effect. You know, you may turn to alcohol. And then once you turn to alcohol, you may get a DUI. Once you get a DUI, then you may lose your job because you can't get to work anymore. And it's like a snowball that just explodes. And then when you get to the lowest point that you feel like is the lowest point, you don't know where to go to get help. A lot of, a lot of people don't realize in the military, you know, I got up and went to work every day, and I had 70 or 80 other Marines that worked in my shop alone of how much of a support system that is for you. Yeah, you give each other hell, you get, you know, you get drunk together, you, you go through a lot together, but no matter how you look at it, it's that support system that you had with all of those people every day. Um, you may not listen to everybody's advice because, of course, there's a lot of people that are in the military that give you some crappy advice but you've got the good ones and you know which ones to turn to and, you know, your staff NCOs and your officers that have made something of themselves and where to go in life at that point. When you get out of the military, you're back on your island. You're on the island of where you live and that's it. Your, your town isn't there for you. You know, your neighbors really aren't there for you. Shoot, we live in a town that 
I couldn't even tell you the names of five of the neighbors that live within earshot of us, you know? So it, it's kind of, it's one of those things that we hear from a lot of the military members that when you get out, you're on your island and nobody else even knows that you're there. Well, it's very similar when Kurt went back to Afghanistan, still a contractor. You know, we were very involved in our community. And then all of a sudden he's, he's halfway across the world fighting in Afghanistan where at any moment, that was a very trying time for me. We won't get into that right now. But my point is everyone in our community, like disappeared. I'm at home with five kids. He's over there getting shot up. The Kabul airport's getting attacked. I'm watching it all on TV. And not one person came to our house. Not one person called for two years. Nothing. So if they did that to me, how did they do that to veterans? Yeah, right. I, I couldn't imagine. Right. Kimmy, what was your turning point where you knew you needed help? Wow. Uh, <clears throat> That was a lot. Uh, there was a lot of turning points. Uh, the one that I listened to was knowing that my kids needed me there. Uh, like no one can love them like I love them. And I wasn't I wasn't a present part of their lives because of my alcoholism, you know. Um, knowing that my heart was better than my actions, than what I was doing at that time. Uh, one of the one of the things when when y'all were talking about the ketamine treatment, one of the things that really really helped me was EMDR therapy. Uh, EMDR stands for eye movement. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Uh, it's basically uh, us facing our trauma, us talking about our trauma over and over again, uh, while I'm trying to figure out a way to explain it. Um, there's like a, a a machine that that has this light, green light that goes from left to right, left to right, left to right. So while while my eyes are following that light, I'm going over a trauma. I'm going over one specific trauma, and we do that for uh, however many traumas a veteran has. And so I don't know how it rewires your brain, but it does. And when I say that tremendously helped me, it tremendously helped me. And I didn't find out, like, I've been struggling with alcoholism for about eight years now, on and off. And I just recently found out about EMDR therapy. Like, most of the resources that's out there is all of them are not presented to the veteran. Like, you only hear about a few at a time or every now and then. Or you got to find out about it about somewhere, somewhere else other than where you should find out about it, which is, you know, your primary care, your PTSD clinic or mental health clinic, whatever. But, but yeah, EMDR therapy truly, truly worked out of all the things I've tried. And I tried many, including medication, a lot of it. But yeah, that's what's worked for me. That's good. Uh, what all, um, since you joined Mission 22 and since you've uh, become a representative and everything, has that, have you felt like that's been good for your mental health too? Helping others and everything? Oh yeah, being of service, absolutely. Uh, that's one of the things that I, I found out about myself that I'm passionate about. And uh, Mission 22 gives me a chance to do that uh, in another way that I'm passionate about. So yeah, um, I've always loved helping people. I've always loved being of service. Um, like before I joined the military, 
Uh, I was 17 when I joined. I had a scholarship for a debate to uh, ULM, U University of Louisiana Monroe. And of course, the recruiter came and talked to me and came and talked me out of it. <laughs> so I ended up going to the Navy instead. But yeah, I was going to major in uh, psychology with a minor in social work. And so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's always been on my heart to do. It's always been a part of who I am. So yeah, Minus 22 just pretty much eliminated it. I got a question about what you just said, because uh, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about exactly what you just said. And I don't understand it because I, I wasn't in the military. They had a scholarship and the recruiter talked them out of going as well. Uh, is that something that like, are you mad at that recruiter about that? Or do you feel like you were tricked in anything that the recruiter said? I, I just won't. I don't know how some people feel about the person that I talked to that's kind of in the music business. They are pissed because right. that the recruiter said was going to happen. It didn't happen. Like no, nothing. Like the recruiter literally lied their ass off to them. They didn't end up going to play baseball. And I mean, their, their life isn't where, where they thought it was going to be is what I'm saying. I was completely lied to too. Uh, I thought it would be easy breezy, me going in, uh, going through basic training and then uh, doing college while I was doing my job. Didn't turn out that easy. I didn't even have time to do college. <laughs> I mean, you're working like, what, 12 hours? Sometimes all 24 hours. You don't have time to do classes. And so, yeah, I, I was completely lied to about everything he said, honestly. But <laughs> The camaraderie, though. What now? I was just about to say the camaraderie, though, that I found in the military. That I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up. I wouldn't give up that. But yeah, he he lied. He completely lied. <laughs> Well, Kim, I appreciate what you do now, and I'm glad that it has. I'm glad it has benefited you, and I'm glad that with your sobriety and everything now, that it's just a backbone for you, and that it just you know helps reinforce that you know everything that you need. That, that that's great. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you're you very, so much. You're very welcome. All right, Kurt and Renee, what you got for me? So, so there are different paths. You know, talking to to your friend that you know went in the military first, you know, the recruiter's got a job. His job yeah. is to put people, enlist people into the military. That's his only job. So, you know, we talk to our kids all the time. There's different paths to the military if you decide to go that route versus, you know, you've got every branch of service has their own academy, which is a college directly run by that branch of service. So your buddy that was playing baseball could have went and played baseball, at one of, you know, applied at one of those academies and played baseball for the academy, which is basically going to college and completely been paid for. Or they could have went enlisted and applied for programs like the enlisted commissioning programs, things like that, where they would have got paid full time to go to college. You know, a lot of those programs, the recruiters, it's not their job to tell you about those. Their job's to fill numbers in a quota that they have throughout the year. Gotcha. to keep that branch of service on track with their path. Um, but nobody would ever stop you in the military from pursuing your career. I look back last week because most everybody doesn't know this. I'm still in college and I hopefully will graduate in December at 41 years old. But wait, wait, you just aged me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
I looked back at my transcript the other day, and while I was in the Marine Corps, the first college class that I took that I got credit for was in 2002, if that tells you anything. That's mm -hmm. when I started my college career. You know, you know what grade I was in? <laughs> I don't even want to know. I was in, uh, I was in ninth grade. Wow. <laughs> I, gra I graduated high school in 06, Kurt. I hope you picked that up. <laughs> yeah. I got out of the Marine Corps in 04. <laughs> uh, I'm the baby. Oh, yeah. Well, let I, me tell you our quick story about a recruiter. Oh, Lord. Kurt decided he wanted to go back into the military. So we went and met with a recruiter. We had been married a year before that. But I never turned the marriage license in because I didn't know if I actually wanted to be married to him or not. Who the so hell would? They, <laughs> <laughs> so the recruiter says, well, I need your marriage license and I need your birth certificate. So I took him our marriage license that wasn't stamped, wasn't filed. And the first thing he said was, well, you've got to file this. I need the filed copy. <laughs> so I went to the courthouse a year later. And the lady looks at me and she says, honey, what, wait, what, why did you wait so long? And I said, I didn't know if I want to be married to him or not. She's like, well, I don't know if we can accept this or not. I said, that's fine with me. <laughs> I bet, anyways, I, I bet several years later, it. you're still wondering why you accepted it. Yes, they accepted <laughs> it. We turned it into the recruiter only for him to say, you won't pass meps. And I'm like, well, son of a gun. Now we're legally married. <laughs> because... <laughs> Because my story about that is in boot camp, I got cellulitis in my knee at Paris Island. Went to the Branch Naval Hospital at Paris Island for the Navy quack at three o'clock in the morning to try and drain my knee with a hypodermic needle. When I went to the VA in 2006, after I had been in the Marine Corps for five years, raced motocross, jumped up and down a helicopter all day, been to Iraq, been back, all that. I went to the VA in 2006 and said, doc, something's wrong with my knee. Oh, we'll send you for an MRI. Went for an MRI. And at that time, the orthopedic surgeon was apparently one of the most sought after orthopedic surgeons in the country, working at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And he come back in laughing and said, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how you're walking. You don't even have an ACL. What? So apparently that night in the hospital, the doctor cut my ACL with a hypodermic needle trying to drain my knee. Good job. Yep. <laughs> so I have one screw in my knee with an AC for my ACL, and that's why they wouldn't take me back to go to uh, Warrant Officer Flight School. Well, damn. And we're legally married. Now we're legally married. I bet there's some things you wish you could take back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the knee or the ring, which one comes first? <laughs> Uh, all right, well, um, why don't we go to Mr. Steven? He's been the quietest this whole time. Uh, won't you uh, tell us about Mr. Steven? You got to introduce Steven. him there, Renee. I'm sorry, <laughs> he muted me. <laughs> Mr. Steven is the South Carolina state leader for Mission 22, um, and he had, he's done a phenomenal job, so I'm going to let him take it away. Nice to meet you, Mr. Steven. Nice to meet you too, Josh. Thanks for having me on the show. Great beard um, you got going on there, sir. I know. It, 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 it's, I'm like Samson, except you cut my beard, I lose my power. 
Um, my name is Stephen McAllister. Uh, a lot of my friends call me Doc. Uh, I'm a United States Navy corpsman. I served from 99 until right around 2010. Uh, I've done five combat deployments, um, 12, basically 12 years in the Navy, 11 and a half of it, I was with the Marine Corps. So if you ask me what Navy life is like, I'd ask, I'd tell you to talk to somebody like Kim that it was actually in the Navy. Uh, you can ask me what Marine life is like, and I can tell you. Uh, my first combat deployment was right after 9-11. Um, I was home on pre-deployment leave when the towers were struck. And that was one of like two times that I actually saw my dad cry because he knew where I was going. Uh, deployed there. Um, I am a Purple Heart recipient. Uh, I loved my, my deployment time, uh, and just a lot of Navy personnel don't like to deploy. They like to stay stateside and everything like that. But I love to deploy because that's what my Marines wanted to do. My Marines wanted to get out basically like what a lot of the Marines say. They want to get out in the shit. Uh, so I did that. I've been shot three times and I've been blown up four. Um, so that's a little bit why I have, I have severe PTSD. And one of the reasons why I am a mission 22 ambassador is June 3rd of 2006. I tried to commit suicide. Um, something told me to reach out to one of my battle buddies. So I reached out to one of my battle buddies and come to find out before mission 22 was mission 22. They were called elder heart and he was an ambassador for elder heart. So in turn, mission 22 basically helped save my life even though it was just an ambassador and he never mentioned anything about mission 22 to me. I didn't even know he was an ambassador until probably two or three years down the road, but I was on the bathroom floor with a bottle of whiskey and a 12 gauge shotgun. And my ex-wife said, or basically couldn't open the door or anything like that. And when he got there, he was probably six, one, six, two, and was 300 pounds of pure muscle. And he punt, I had the door locked and I wouldn't unlock the door. Um, so he actually punched the door and knocked it off the hinges and handed my ex-wife the shotgun and she said, well, what about the bottle of whiskey? He goes, oh, no, we're going to need that for our conversation. So that's one reason why I became a Mission 22 ambassador was because of that. One of the reasons why I became a state leader, I've only been an ambassador since uh, June of last year. I became a state leader in December, this, this past December. And one of the reasons why I became a state leader was because I want to help 
the I wanted to help my ambassadors get the word out a lot easier and quicker because our state leader, one of our state leaders in South Carolina is down in Charleston, but she also has a newborn baby. So she couldn't get out as much and everything like that. So I, I wanted to help out her and everything like that. As far as, and when it comes to events and stuff like that, I let the ambassadors handle the event. And if they got a question, then I'll answer that question if they can't answer it. Um, so that's the reason why I got into mission 22. But one of the reasons why I joined the military is my whole family has been military. Uh, we've actually traced our family history back. We've had somebody in every, every war that the U S has been in since the civil war, somebody in my family has participated in. So that's why I joined the military. Um, do you, do you feel like with all the battles that you went through that you talking to, um, with your role now, can you kind of tell us a little bit what you do with people now, as far as with mission 22? Okay. With mission 22, uh, we're not a crisis organization. So if somebody comes up to me uh, with problems saying that they're going to commit suicide or anything like that, um, as a Mission 22 ambassador, I am only supposed to give them the suicide hotline and everything like that. But before I became an ambassador, uh, I would sit down and talk to them and find out what's going on because that's what worked with me. That's what pulled me off the ledge was that somebody was there to just listen, not say anything, but just listen. And now with me uh, going through the, went through the treatment and everything like that, one of the psychologists that I had told me that the best treatment for me is to talk about it, to talk about my experiences, to be open about it because as a veteran or as a military person, we're told you're weak if you seek help and everything like that. And now it's taken me, I've been out, I've been out since 2000, 2010, 2011. It's taken me this long. It's taken me what almost 10 years to realize that, Hey, it's okay not to be okay it's, it's definitely not and it's weird i just saw every one of you at the same time when you said that you're told to not seek help every one of you shaked your head yes you're literally told not to seek help well no. I, I like out like outside help like out, i'm guessing they mean outside help right it, it, it's 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 not that we're told not to seek help but it's almost like being judged. If we go to seek help, we're going to be judged by you're weak. If you do it. Yeah. That we're, that we're weak. And then for the, the Marines that are in here, they, they know my role as doc. I'm supposed to be a strong one because they're relying on me for their health. Basically their life is in my hands and everything. And one of the reasons why I'm called Doc, and uh, I'm pretty sure uh, 
they can the other Marines in here can uh vouch for it is a corpsman doesn't get called doc unless they're respected by the Marines. If they're not respected by the Marines, they're they're just a corpsman. Uh, and if you're respected by the Marines, then they call you doc. Well, I was respected by the Marines because uh, as a corpsman, we're allowed to do we're allowed to uh, give up our Navy uniforms and wear the Marine Corps uniforms if we go Marine Corps regs. So basically, I went Marine Corps regs. I wore every uniform that the Marines wore except for their blues. Which, I'm sorry to say, that's the best looking uniform in the whole military combined is Marine Corps blues, in my opinion. Uh, but a little bit more about me. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan right after 9-11. I was stationed in Kand at Kandahar International Airport. Uh, that MEW... Uh, Marine Expeditionary Unit holds the military, they basically say the military record for the longest amphibious assault. We assaulted right around, right at 2,000 miles from where our ships were where our ships were out in the, in the Persian Gulf uh, to getting into Pakistan and Afghanistan. Um, that I was 17 years old, just basically a kid seeing my first combat and everything like that. Then we were going into a mission into the mountain region right there outside of Kandahar. It was supposed to be a nine hour mission and it ended up taking us nine days and we only had supplies for the the night for the nine hours. So basically we took three meals, enough water, enough ammo for nine days. And we had to ration it out because we couldn't get a supply drop because where we were at, we were surrounded by Taliban. Uh, we also had two CIA forensic specialists with us. And we got into a place where we noticed that the dirt was shifted a little bit. And so we were told by our commanding, by our platoon sergeant to, hey, let's dig this up. We ended up digging it up and it ended up being a mass grave site. And the CIA forensics people got a hold of some of the bones and tested it. The bones ranged from two from about two years old to about 60 or 70 years old and they were chemically killed uh we basically we basically burned when we got back to base we actually burned everything because we had two-year-old little kids there and it really it affected like my best friend that I grew up with, he joined the Marine Corps, I joined the Navy, and we ended up getting stationed together. And it that right there messed him up to the fact that they had to send him home. Because yeah, that, he that would fuck he, anybody up, dude. Just here. Uh, um 
then my I we got back and everything like that. And then my next deployment was back to Afghanistan to Kabul to the American embassy. Now that was an okay, that was that was a better duty. We got we got bombarded normal and everything like that. And uh we came home, we were there for about a year. We came home and then the war in Iraq started. And when I got deployed there, we I got attached to a mortuary affairs department for the Marine Corps. And there I actually had to look at battalion commanders and go, go, does this head go to this body? Mm. Because basically they took razor wire and made almost like a trip line. And it actually cut through a seven, a seven ton Humvee and basically cut about 20 to 25 Marines in half. So we, ha- I've, I've, I've got a lot of built up trauma per se from that. Yeah. But as far as getting help and everything like that, I have, I have an inner circle. My inner circle knows everything about me, and basically we check on each other daily. Um. One of my closest friends now, I met him on TikTok. Now, I'm 42 years old, and I got on TikTok just to watch videos. Now, five, six months later, I'm sitting at 11, over 11,000 followers that actually look forward to content that I produce because I produce a little bit of content and it's kind of like what you do, Josh, where you just talk about just about anything is dumb shit. Yeah. I do a lot of dumb shit. I do a message. I do a message from doc. Yeah. I have to, I have to look you up, dude. I'll I'll have to look you up. On, uh, on, on TikTok, my, my, my screen name is USN underscore doc. And, uh, the buddy that that I met there, he, he's actually the Idaho state leader for Mission 22 now. Um, I met him on there, and now he's a Marine, and we're best friends. His kids call me uncle and everything like that, and he's in my inner circle, and we talk just about every day. Um. So that, I just went, I just went and followed you. I'll check you out. Oh, did it cut you off? That's helped me. That's helped me a lot is the people is having people um, to talk to, to open up to and everything like that. So any, any veteran that is listening um, to, to your podcast, they, they now know my TikTok which is USN underscore doc. Um, feel free to look me up. Feel free to send me a follow request and everything like that. And if you're ever in trouble, reach out. I mean, that's, that's the main thing that you got, that you got to tell people is to reach out. 
Well, I think that what a lot of people miss with the the key point to your story, what you were just saying, to a lot of what uh, I try to do, what Kurt and Renee's talking about, but what Jason Kim is before you even get to Stephanie, I'm sure at some point in time it'll be her point too, is you got to ask for help at some point in time and you got to build a support system and you got to feel okay with sharing your story. If you don't share your story, well, one, uh, I, I talk to people about this every day. You either can view as the stuff that you went through as it happened to you or it happened for you. That is up to you. That is literally up to you. You either can let, you know, your demons work for you or against you. At some point in time, I, I had to make the decision, like I think a lot of people do, is, you know what, I'm not letting these demons control my ass anymore. If anything, I'm going to make them work for me. Like, I, I'm tired of this. Like, we're not doing this shit no more. Um, and then you share your story. Some people share their story. Uh, I'm not saying anybody in this room has, um, and I'm not saying the majority of people has, but you get people that share their story because they want sympathy. And that's not what I think the majority of people do. I think the majority of people should share their story to help others. Because when you share that story to help others, it's to remind them you're not alone. Like you don't have to battle this shit alone. You don't have to go through this alone. Um, we do this thing at the studio. We haven't done it in a while, but we called it our still writing sessions. We didn't record it or nothing like that, but we invited people to the studio that were suicide survivors. Um, and it was just for, you know, just to tell their stories and to have other people in the room sitting there with you to where it's, you know, Hey, we've been through the same shit. There's nothing different about you than there is about me. You know, we, we both struggled with the same thing. You know, you had a, you had a moment of weakness. Um, you know, don't let your mental health win. Don't don't let those demons win. You can kick them in the ass. You just got to know that you're not doing it by yourself. You don't have to. When you have those moments like Doc's talking about right there to where, uh, you know, when you're feeling low, call somebody. Hell, they'll probably be happy to hear from you. The first time I ever shared my story, and I bet this is the same story with every one of y'all. The first time I ever shared my suicide attempt on social media, I thought I was going to be picked on, but something was on my heart to do it the day that I did it. I thought that I was going to catch so much shit about it. I got nothing but love and people reaching out to me saying, I've been there. I never knew that you went down this road. I never knew this happened to you, but I've been in the same place. And I knew right then that day that the good Lord had put that on me because I, I don't mind. Like, I, I ain't got no shame. If you've ever seen me uh, out in public after a couple beers or the women I'd be dancing with at one o'clock in the morning. I ain't no shame to this game. I'd be having a good time. I, I don't mind. I, I live my life and I have fun. And uh, so I think with me not being worried about other people's perception uh, of me, I think that's why I went through the struggles that I went through is because he knew that I'm tough enough to where I could turn it into something and I could help other people. And I think that's why the y'all folks that are here right now I think you're tough enough. I think that you are, you're all warriors in, in a way besides for just serving the military, that it was your mission to go through that stuff, not just you serving the military, but in life. It was where you went down the road, you went down because you had another battle to fight after. And uh, I think all y'all are fighting. I think and all y'all doing a hell of a job at it, at that. All right, Renee, tell me about Miss Stephanie. And, hey, go ahead, Doc. Um, 
I know a lot of your viewers can't they're not, they're not seeing us on the on the Zoom and everything like that, but they're just hearing us. Um, I don't know if the the my fellow compatriots here and you uh, as well, Josh, have seen, but when I was telling my story, I now have a visitor in my lap, the puppy. Yes, uh, this is she's my service dog. She's her name's Evelina. Um, I've only had her since October of this year uh or of last year um but she has picked up on triggers and everything like that and anytime i go to tell my story like i like i did with y'all she comes and gets in my lap because she already knows that it's gonna it's gonna trigger me uh so if you're going through something get you get you an animal it doesn't have to be a dog or anything like that it could be something that you like i've got a friend that's got a bearded dragon as her anything but a damn cat don't get a cat (laughs) and then also uh like when they introduced me i'm the state leader for south carolina uh this is the third this will be my third year um i decide uh here in south carolina I'm in, I'm huge into the, um, uh, softball community here in South Carolina, especially in my local area. And I thought, well, mission 22 has my heart and softball has my heart. What can I do to help mission 22, uh, and do softball? So I took the anniversary of my suicide, June 3rd. And now I do a softball tournament that weekend to raise money for Mission 22. Well, this year we actually have a Mission 22 ambassador team that is going to be playing in it. Um, so uh, anybody that is listening to your podcast that is around the Florence, South Carolina area, June 3rd and 4th, um, there will be a softball tournament in Friendfield, South Carolina that will be for mission 22 and it is called the beard bash. Don't think I won't come up here and hit dingers. Bring it. Now we, we, we hit dingers around here. Hey, that's all I do. It looks like it. What a beard like you damn better. But, uh, once again, Josh, thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate it because the only way to, to heal for me is to talk about my, my trauma and everything like that. And this was a, a great opportunity to, to do that. And I greatly appreciate it. You're, you're very welcome. I'm going to ask all y'all a couple questions in just a minute uh, too. So you, you, you get another chance. All of y'all get another chance in just a second. Um, yeah. I just wanted everybody to get a couple of minutes to where we got to, to know you first. Um, go ahead, Kurt and Renee. Let's, uh, let's get to Steph and see what, uh, so this is me, her. I know Jason had something to add to that real quick. Yeah, Jason, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I forgot the lady's name, but she was she was mentioning EMDR earlier, uh, how she did the EMDR treatment, and it really helped her out. Uh, if if I remember correctly, that's where they, they take either pencil or light, and they do this whole thing in your eyes, and they're trying to get you into that, that space where you can talk about it. So I, I, I tried that as well. I attempted that, and I was actually still active duty when I did this. And um, I was seeing a psychiatrist, 
Um, cause you know, my boss recommended I go talk to somebody cause clearly I had a fucking attitude problem. And, um, <laughs> uh, anyways, I was there and I was, I was talking to this dude. He, he was a, he was a, a, he was a fun kind of guy with rainbow socks and the Jesus sandals. And, you know, had one day when I was leaving my appointment, I, I happened to see, I happened to see him getting this little red Mazda Miata convertible and uh, drive off with his hair in the wind. You know, there's, there's really nothing wrong with that, but when you go from being like where most, most people, most Marines and stuff, uh, we have a hard time talking about stuff, period. Right. We don't want to, we don't want to burden people with our problems because to us, they don't seem like our problems. Like hearing the gentleman just now speak about his, his trauma and stuff. I don't think my, my trauma compares. Right. And that's just one of the things that that's the main point I want to get across is no matter how you think you rate your trauma, it is best to talk about it because it will build up. And for me, my trauma built up and I had a fucking anxiety attack in the Las Vegas airport, dude. Like I got tunnel vision, TSA had to call an ambulance. I had to go to the hospital. And that's, that's right. When I realized that, you know what, these guys, they, they're right. I do need help in that. That's when it opened my eyes and everybody, I know what everybody's thinking. Like all this dude was in Vegas. He's probably fucked up. No, nah, man, I wasn't. I had a three hour layover. I went to the bar. I had a one drink breakfast. And I went back to my seat. Next thing you know, I was on the floor having a fucking anxiety attack. First time I've ever had one. So um, anyways, I just want to say that, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk because we get, uh, excuse me, some of these guys, it seems a little fruity, right? And they want to hear all about our problems and they want to chew on their pen and to take a shitload of notes. And they, we think they're judging us. And uh, anyways, I stopped seeing that psychiatrist, but the, the method that they had at the, that mental health facility is that you had to go and face to face tell the psychiatrist why you didn't want to see him no more. And uh, and I straight up told him, you know, I seen you leaving your little red Mazda Miata convertible. And I don't think you're the type of dude I want to tell my problems to. I, I know what you mean, though. I, I think I think that how you're saying it is one way. But I know exactly what you mean. You don't think that he can understand your problems because he doesn't identify with you. Right. Like exactly. there, there, There's no fucking way that this guy is going to understand a thing that I'm going through. Um, yeah. there, there's a thing that I, uh, I know Kurt Renee's heard me say it on the show before. I'm a Christian. I'm just not a very good one. Like I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a very good one. I believe that you have warriors in this world and you have preachers. So like with me, um, I, I talk about my faith a lot on this show, right? Because I believe if I talk about my faith on this show, it's the same way. I'm not a biker, uh, but it's the same way like a biker does. Like, if you have someone that's very rough around the edges, it still shows that the good Lord loves them and they love the good Lord. Well, that brings, like, somebody that's real rough and a sinner. Still, like, oh, well, if this person can still love God, then I can, too. Like, it's, I'm still worthy of God's love if they're still receiving God's love. So it's hard for when I go to church, if I've got a real clean-cut clean cut preacher up there that's never been through shit in his life to sit there, and I'm having to hear him talk to me. And he's never been through anything. It's real hard for me to identify with someone like that. So I would imagine when you're having to sit there and talk to a psychiatrist and you're just as like, dude, you ain't been through shit in your life. Like, you know, you've had a silver spoon stuck up your ass since the day you were born. And, you know, you, you, don't, you ain't even had dirt under your fingernails. But you're trying to tell me how to solve my problems? I, I, get, I get what you mean. I 100% get what you mean. Uh, Josh, what? Um, I looked at the wrong camera. Yeah, right here. Uh, um, with what you're saying and everything like that, you're 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 100 right. Uh, with the psychiatrist and the psychologist and everything like that, one of my biggest things that it took me a while to find the right one was 
everyone kept telling me, oh, I know how you feel. No, the hell you don't. You don't know how I feel. You weren't there. You didn't go through the same stuff that I did. And even somebody that is like my, my, the Marines that were in the home V with me when it got blown up, they're going to see it totally different than what I see it. They're going to have a different trauma than what I'm going to have. So we're not going to see it the same way. And I think that's, if there's, and I hate to say it, but if there's any uh, quacks listening to this right now, listening to your they podcast. Hate me. They hate me. I tell people not to go. <laughs> uh, if, if, there is, if there is anybody that is even interested in going into that field, never tell somebody, oh, I know how you feel, because you don't. You don't know how we feel. I, I literally, I say it all the time. I tell people, not that you shouldn't see a psychiatrist. Not that if you have, not that you should, but you should find people that you know that you can relate to and build a support system with them. That's what, that's what I say to get like your real in-depth shit with, to work your shit out with, is find people that actually identify with you and get comfortable talking with them about the things. That's where you're going to get real help out, but just getting it out. Like, when you go see a therapist, they're going to medicate you if they don't understand you, right? That, that, that's what's going to happen. So if you actually can associate yourself with people that actually have been through some of the same things that you've been through or identify close to you, what's the difference between talking to them and talking to a therapist? Is you're literally just pouring your heart out to them. They're pouring your heart out to you. You're building a support system and you're not getting medicated and just getting numbed in the, in the process. That, that, that's what I believe. I believe in just doing that. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm ready to hear about Steph. <laughs> I know to cut her off like five damn times. <laughs> All right, we'll get there. We'll get there, right? Um, so two things that, you know, we, we talk about how small the military community is, you know. So in, in my world, what I did in the Marine Corps, some of the Marines that taught Jason his job in the Marine Corps were some of the guys that taught me or he worked with them, et cetera, et cetera. So Doc, I don't know Doc personally, but I was in Iraq in 03 and 04. Wasn't supposed to go, but one of my peers broke his arm three days before our unit deployed. So my master guns talked to the wing commanding general and he told him as long as I had 90 days in country, he was taking me. So I had three days to prepare to go to Iraq, which I was really geared up to train my guys to go there. So things kind of change. And, and Doc, I, I completely relate with the mortuary affairs part because I would fly into Fallujah and Ramadi every night for 12 hours at a time. And we were constantly getting tasked with uh, casualty evacuations. So I was picking up black bags that didn't weigh anything. So, you know, that, that makes you feel odd when, you, when you're picking up a, a stretcher with a bag on it that only weighs as much as the stretcher and the bag, you know, and delivering them to the mortuary and, you know, the green zone in, you know, downtown Iraq and things like that, where you're still getting shot at trying to deliver these, you know, KIA and angels that we have back home so they can get on a plane to come all the way back to the United States. Um, so that, that really is one thing that weighs on me because I'll never know any of those guys. I didn't work with them directly and I'll never know them, but I picked them up out of the battlefield to bring them home. 
Um, and, and that kind of, that gets to me at certain times. Um, and Renee, you know, she'll tell you when we first started Facebook or whatever, a while ago, you know, many years ago now, she's like, why do you have 7,000 people on your Facebook? You don't know that many people. Well, through the years, yeah, I know people. I may not be direct friends with them all day long, every day, but you have acquaintances that if you're somewhere in the world, you may need a question and you know, Hey, they live here. Let's find out what's going on in their town or, or something like that, you know? And she notices it now, if we get a veteran that contacts us and says, Hey, I'm having trouble. This is where I live. I would say eight times out of 10, we know somebody in that area that's directly involved in some type of veteran organization that we can put them in contact with. So now if you're on my Facebook and you hear from me, it's actually her most of the time since someone got locked out of Facebook when she got a new phone. You didn't need one no damn way. Uh, no. All right. So introduce Stephanie. Yes, please. Stephanie <laughs> is uh, an ambassador with Mission 22. Um, Stephanie brings something a little bit different to the table than everybody else on the line with us. Stephanie, are you there? She is now. Our right, thing frees up. See, I made her wait so damn long. It froze up. That's what you get. That's what you get. Hopefully she'll be back in just a moment and then we she can jump be. to Stephanie. She but I be. think the the whole synopsis of this podcast, this call, is that if you're struggling, if you need someone to talk to, if you need help, there is help out there. You may not know exactly there how to get it. Oh, there's Stephanie. Um, but Contact anyone on this podcast and we will get you hooked up with, with help because no one fights alone. All right. Now, Stephanie, she's an ambassador with Mission 22. Her son is a veteran and I'm going to let her take it away. As soon as we give you the floor, Stephanie, you decide to dip out on us. It took, it took, it took a little over an hour. You waited it took patient. that, right? <laughs> it, took, it took a little over an hour. Then you're like, you know what the hell with you guys? <laughs> No, Josh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, thanks for the ask too, Renee. Um, you know, I told her I wasn't, I wasn't sure that um, I, I'll be honest, like I felt a little bit unworthy to be here today. Um, there's, there's an age old saying that when you have a family member who serves, the family actually gets drafted. And I, I didn't understand that until my son joined the Marines. And um, I'll never forget sitting, sitting in the recruiting office and literally like there's not words to describe as a mom, what it feels like to watch your kid sign his, his literal life away. And I remember coming home that day and, you know, going through uh, power of attorneys and wills and things like that and going like, holy shit, like this is, this is about as real as it gets. And, um, you know, yet it was a dream of his, uh, military service was always this outlet. He, this is what he wanted to do. And we backed him 110%. And I immediately found that even active duty in the military community, when you factor in that less than 1% of the entire United States population is serving in a capacity across all branches, your world gets small real quick. 
because you, 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 you can't like everyone else is saying, I would call my girlfriends and, you know, try to talk to them through some things and bless their souls. They, they don't, they didn't understand. They couldn't relate. And so I felt helpless in my quest of how do I support my son through this? when I have to have the support, right? Like you've got to be, you've got to be in a place where you can actually extend your cup, right? You can't be empty. And so I started getting intertwined with Marine mom groups and just different outlets where I could be supported in that because I knew that my son would need me. And my path to mission 22, um, was one weekend. My son was home, um, on a long leave. And he had gotten a call and I'll never forget. I'm standing in the kitchen and he comes out and I could just tell like I, his eyes were empty and, and maybe some of you on here who, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're there, but there's nothing, there's nothing going on. And I looked at him and just instantly, right? Here's the mom in me. And I, and I said, what, what's going on, dude? Like what the hell just happened? And he collapsed. Damn it. If somebody don't cry on the show, I was going to be mad as hell. So you go ahead and let it out. If somebody didn't get some tears, I was going to be pissed. It's supposed to be me. It's supposed to be me. He collapsed in my arms. And I thought, here's this, right? This big, badass Marine, like everybody's got this picture of what they are and they are for a reason. No, I'm not taking that away. I had no idea, no idea that the amount of suicides were not just limited to what our veterans face processing trauma when they get out, the amount of suicides that are taking place on our bases in active duty set my soul on fire because I walk into my son's room now that he's home and he has a plaque of dog tags of fellow Marines that have decided that this was, this was the route you know, or or felt that this was the only route that they had. And I started asking questions. And let me tell you, first of all, like we're an Italian family. So you don't get to not talk here. Like, you know, if you're going to, you're going to lose your shit, you don't get to just walk away and go grab a beer out of the fridge. Like we're talking this out. And that weekend, we probably spent like 24 hours, him and I just, just awake and talking. And I forcibly had to be that one that was pulling things out of him because I was terrified to let him go back to base in the state that he was in and not be, and not have any control over what was going on. And so I started digging off the record because when you're in active duty, you don't ask questions, right? You, you don't want to be pegged. You don't want to be singled out. You, you just want to fly under the radar in those scenarios. And so I started networking in some of my uh, Marine mom groups and started finding out there was a lot of consistent stories here. A lot of parents were terrified for their kids' mental health state side. I'm not talking about deployment. I'm not talking about 
what the expectations are when there's a deployment on the table. I'm talking about our bases that we are sending service men and women to that are filthy, that are disgusting, that are absolutely, I mean, if you had some of these things, if PETA, let's just say, okay, saw some of these living conditions, they'd be strapping people to doors, you know, over cats and dogs. We're talking about people. And then we're talking about United States service members. And I know that your, your viewers can't, um, can't see this, but Josh, I want to give you a glimpse. This is the showers. Okay. I see it. Here's the bathroom. That's pee. That's urine. There's feces. This is where they're sleeping. I started to get pissed and I started making waves in my congressional offices. And I got three Congress people in my state, I'm in Arizona, to start filing investigation reports because the evidence that I have- Can I, can I ask you a question before we go yep. on from that real fast? If you, if you don't mind, I don't want you to lose your train of thought, but I wanna ask you a question about that, okay? Uh, I've never heard that before. I'm not, I've never heard of those conditions or anything before. Uh, is that something that that the rest of y'all have found to be true, like nationwide, or is that something that might have just been to that to that basis standards? I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just I, I've never I've never heard that before. Some bases are different than others. Uh, I know when I was stationed at Camp Lejeune, when we come across stuff like what Stephanie was showing, uh, it got brought to our battalion commander's eyes. And I got to say, I probably had one of the best battalion commanders that the Marines could have. Uh, he immediately got, he didn't have us, like in the military, we have what's called field day. And that's when we all get together and we basically clean head from floor to ceiling and everything like that. We we didn't have a field day. He actually got a professional cleaner to come in and clean all that. Now, that was before 04. I don't know how the military has changed, but um, I've heard some of the same stuff that Stephanie's saying and from some of my my my. Uh, corpsmen and Marines that are still in today, that they're going through the same thing. So, so Miss so Stephanie, it's not like what I have pictured in my head then, what you're taught in movies and all that type of shit then, that it's not squeaky clean everywhere you go on a military base, like in the barracks and everything. No, and the expectation, you know, I, I'm not, I'm an educated woman. I knew that my kid going into the service wasn't meaning he's going to go stay at the Ritz-Carlton. That was never an expectation. But what I didn't, what, what we're never um, trained on, what we're never briefed on, nothing. The entire process through recruitment, um, talking to some sergeants, all different things. Nobody talks about mental health. Nobody talks about that the reason why, um, and I'm going to say kids, because at the time my son was 19, 20 years old, that the reason why they're, they're literally watching their fellow brothers blow their brains out in the barracks and they're just told to go get a mop clean it up and we'll see you in training in three hours like it's mind-blowing 
it's mind blowing. And, and then that's just that one piece of it. And that, and then, you know, you do go, uh, let's say you do get deployed or you do experience the things that, uh, uh, others have shared on here. You're just compounding this trauma over and over and over again, without understanding that a lot of the <clears throat> combat, if you will, um, at least that, that I've been experienced through my sons is, is happening, not on deployment, it's happening on our bases. And, and nobody talks about it. And I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you, Josh, I've pissed a lot of people off because first of all, I've had, you know, it's really hard to sit here as a military mom and tell you that I have to look at these pictures that my kid existed in and I'm supposed to be raw when, when this is how they're sleeping, when the, these are wounds that they're taking care of each other because they're not getting medical treatment. And, and, and yet I have military, um, you know, groups telling me I really should, you know, Stephanie, you need to be quiet. This is not appropriate. You can't talk up. When is it going to be appropriate? How many more people have to go through this? Is the expectation that you're supposed to join an elite service and you get treated like crap and you get to live worse than animals? Is that what we've come to? I got a question for you. Have you been told the only thing, one thing about my show and what I try to do is I always try to see both sides of a picture, right? Whether I agree with both sides of it or not. Like you got to play devil's advocate, okay? Um, so don't think I'm disagreeing with you or whatever. Like one thing I'm supposed to say to everybody before the show starts and I didn't do it with y'all is there's some shit I've got to say for entertainment purposes. So uh, this is for entertainment purposes. All right. So have you been told that some of the things that they have to do is to kind of build, um, kind of build what it's like out in the field? Like if when you get stationed, like uh, let's say when they go overseas or whatever, to where you don't have the, the amenities that you would have uh, stateside. Um, do, do you see what I'm trying to say? Like it, to Absolutely. Kind of, okay. Have you been told anything like that to where it's not going to be a holiday in when you go overseas? That when you get, when you're at certain places that it's not going to be, uh, you know, linen sheets and a, a great shower that you're going to have to stay where you got to stay. You're going to have to be in a shower that's made of wood walls. Like, only thing that I can say or I can see from the outside looking in that would make sense to me why someone that is serving our country would have to be in those standards is if they were trying to replicate the situation overseas to get people accustomed to that. Kurt wants to say something. So I understand your question, Josh. And um, the answer is, is, is yes and no at the same point. So Recently, there's a huge company called Balfour Beatty. They just settled a huge lawsuit with the DOD in regards to living conditions. So Balfour Beatty is one of the major suppliers of government housing on bases. They control move-ins, move-outs, clean-ups, clean-outs, everything you can imagine that has to do with a house on base, if it's base housing, they control it. So they, they just settled a huge lawsuit for mold remediation and substandard living conditions and all kind of stuff like that. So part of it is you get into the bureaucracies of it and contracting and good managers, bad managers, et cetera. Um, 
barracks wise, I, I can tell you barracks wise, my personal views of what I went through, the barracks are dirty because Marines are dirty. Every Thursday, everything got cleaned in my world. So I was in an aviation unit, which is completely different than the ground side. So I wasn't on Camp Lejeune like Doc. I was on the air station, which we had our own barracks right at the flight line. Well, as a flyer and as air crew, I was able to live off base as a junior Marine. So I can say my mental health was maybe better than somebody that lived on base because when I left work, I left work. Now, I lived in a single wide trailer that was probably built in 1942. And you could have came to my house and thought that you were in uh, John Travolta's movie. Um, what was it? Uh, not eight seconds, but the uh, other urban, one Cal did. urban Cowboy. Urban Cowboy, cowboy. yeah. You, you thought you were living an urban cowboy life where I lived in my single wide trailer. But that was my getaway. When I left work at four or five o'clock, I didn't have to be at work till four or five o'clock the next morning to get an aircraft ready to, to fly during the day. Or if I flew at night, I didn't come in till a certain time. So there's, there's a lot of pieces and parts that go into it. And I can see the pictures that Stephanie shared with us happening. The Marines are dirty. That's part, you know, that's, we are. Now, I also remember being in Iraq and at some point in time, somebody had a great vision of burning every piece of trash that we ever had. Well, I'm registered in the National Burn Pit Registry now because I sat there and inhaled those fumes while I was in Iraq for nine months. And, you know, you also have, they've got portajons stateside now. We didn't have portajons over there. You had a steel bucket in a wood box that had a toilet seat on it. And when that bucket was full, it came out, diesel fuel got poured over it, and it got burned. And there was guys that actually sat there with a stick and stirred that stuff to get rid of it. Yeah. That, that's what we were engaged in. You know, we took over for the army, for an army unit when we moved into Al-Assad, Iraq at the air base. Now, this is the largest air base in Iraq. And when the army left, the insurgents decided that they were going to blow up the Haditha Dam, which was hydroelectric power for most of Iraq. So for nine months that I was in Iraq, I didn't get a hot shower. Nine entire months, no hot shower whatsoever. Our barracks, the water came out of the ground. The water in the ground in the desert, I can tell you, is freezing cold. You turn the shower on, you got wet, you turn the shower off. Yeah. And, and that's literally, it's like, it was like shock therapy. You'd get in the water, you'd get washed, you'd rinse off and you were out of there. I mean, it, it wasn't like stateside where you can go into the barracks and you can have never ending. I can tell you in the Marine Corps on the air station, I had never ending hot water. I could stay in that shower for five hours and the hot water would never stop. I got you. Um, so it was completely different. So that, I understand both sides yeah, I, of the story. Yeah. Well, I just feel like with Miss Stephanie's point is if you're stateside, it should be clean. Like it, there's it, no should, reason. You, there's, there's you no... Should, yeah, there, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be filled unless it's being 
simulated. That's the word I was looking for a while ago. Unless the conditions of being overseas is being simulated. But that's also something that I feel like should be told to uh, the, whoever is the Marines or whatever who's being stationed there at the time. If your son wasn't told that or anybody's told that it's, those conditions are being simulated, then it should be squeaky clean and those people should not, or those, our men and women serving should not have to live in those conditions. This was the point I was trying to make, Miss Stephanie. I'm sorry if I threw you off right there. So continue, please. I'm sorry if I threw you off. No, no, that's okay. You know, it's just something that it's hard. Like I said, it's hard to talk about. People yeah. don't believe you. Um, they question you. You know, they think that, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, well, it's supposed to be like this. Yes, to an extent. But at what point, and this goes back to what all very, you know, everyone here has said, you're not encouraged to see the chaplains. You're not encouraged to unpack stuff when it's happening real time. So the fact that, you know, um, the fact that now my son has a wall full of dog tags because paired with the living conditions, what they're exposed to, what they're called to do, and there's no outlet what's the, what's the answer then? So do we just continue to not keep talking about this and it's just going to go away? Do you know, you bring it up to light. And like I said, you don't make a lot of friends when you do that. My congressional inquiries got all the way up to the department of defense. The Marine Corps had to be accountable to answer to the documentation that I sent from dozens of Marines who had subscribed to this because they were still active duty and they couldn't be the ones to speak. So I started speaking for them, which was what part of the reason why I found mission 22 was because again, I needed that support in order to be the support to my son, because I had no idea what he had to start unpacking. But when when you start hearing of suicide one after another, and it's not just when our vets come home, it's not just because the system fails them. It involves corrupt command, disgusting bases. And I pulled some numbers last night, and I just want to put this into perspective. So the department um, or the congressional budget, fiscal budget for 2021 for national security was 740 billion dollars. All right. Now the department of defense specifically gets over $21 billion out of this to restore, sustain, replace, and build critical facilities. They're investing in this for the sustainment, the restoration and modernization of where our service members are living, whether it's barracks or military housing. So $21 billion is a pretty big number for the government to start answering to where that's going. Because the pictures that I just showed you, I mean, this, I don't even know. I had friends ask me if these were condemned bases. And I think we could all sit here and say in the civilian world, this would never fly. This would be plastered on all kinds of social media, if the news got a hold of that. I mean, like I said, you'd have people picketing in the streets for this crap, but it's acceptable for our service members. I don't buy it. 
I don't buy it. And I think it's disgusting, to be honest with you. And the more and more that I've dug into the suicide rates and the more and more that we are, our, our circles are filled with vets. We're a military family. The more that people have started to unpack things, the more broken you realize the system really is. Yeah, there, there's a, I mean, you can't, you can't ever, uh, uh, you got something, Doc? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, to uh, further on Stephanie's thing, um, I did a lot of research too as well on it, on when they go to build a base and everything like that. The only branch that actually does it uh, a humane way, basically, is the Air Force. The Air Force will go in and build their barracks, build the PX, build the commissary, build everything like that, and then reach back to the DOD and say, hey, we need X amount of money. We're out of money. We need X amount of money to build our aircraft hangars and, and runways. The Navy and the Marine Corps, they will build their military essential stuff, like building the armories and building the docks and the airfields and everything like that, and then come back and say, hey, we need money for barracks. I know when I was stationed at Lejeune, I was part of 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines, uh, 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 basically an infantry unit. We were actually, the barracks were actually from Vietnam there. They, they haven't been updated or anything like that. Now, I didn't go through the same living conditions that Stephanie was showing on there, but it's still, they should, the, they should have been condemned, basically. Um, so you've got that. And then also I wanted to emphasize something for Stephanie is that, uh, if people are telling you to stop doing what you're doing, Stephanie, that means you're on the right track. People are trying to get you to stop because you're bringing out the truth and that's why they're telling you to stop. So you're on the right track. I hate that your son's having to go through what he is. Uh, like I, excuse me, like I said, if, if he needs somebody to talk to Stephanie, feel free. You can reach out to me, uh, on workplace and everything like that. If he just needs somebody to talk to somebody he doesn't know or anything like that, that can relate a little bit because since January of this year, I've lost 14 of my Marines to suicide. A uh, couple of them were still active duty, um, and they were up there. They were basically E6s, E7s, and E9s, and they just couldn't take it anymore. And then I've lost a bunch of the ones that I served with. Um, I, well, I, I hate it because it's obviously we've gone, uh, you know, a bunch of different kinds. You know, we've gone from everybody deals with depression, uh, anxiety, or whatever, uh, PTSD in different ways. It comes in all different ways, shapes, or forms. I really want to end the show on really one question for each and every one of y'all, you know, it's, uh, it's how do we improve this? You know, whether it's what can the VA do better? What can we do better? Um, not even necessarily just the VA, but what is something that, um, you know, because there's some things that's been said that I 100% agree with, some things that me from my outsider looking in, 
thinks I would do better. And let's be real. I ain't never served a day in the military. My dumb ass probably don't know. You're like, you know, everybody thinks that they know better, but I ain't never been in y'all shoes, right? I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't have a fucking clue. Uh, I think that we're supposed to raise these young men and women tough as damn nails, physically, like physically, but mentally they're supposed to be even tougher. I think they're supposed to be able to go to their chaplains. I think that if they feel alone, if I think that something's struggling, whether regardless of what the topic is, I think they should be able to go sit down and talk to someone without being judged. Uh, a lot of the things that I have seen is where there is that stigma to where the second that they bring up, hey, they could just be homesick uh, or something like that is, you know, I'm struggling with this. I've never been away from my family. Help me. You know, they, they, they see it as weakness. But how do you expect men and women to go out there and fight for their country every single day if there's something weighing, weighing on them regardless of what it is? The depression and PTSD is just a whole different animal. Um, physically tough. Uh, you know, so I want to know, starting with, uh, we'll go with, uh, we'll start with Kim. Kim, what is something that you would love to see changed? Um, and we'll, let's all try to, like, keep it probably like five minutes for coming up on two hours. Um, five minutes or less, but uh, what's something that you would love to see change starting from, I guess, basic training moving forward to where, you know, we work with these men and women with their mental health and everything? Um, I think we need to start with uh, letting people know that it's okay to reach out for help, uh, as well as pushing self-care um it's important that people take care of themselves as well as take care of their own mental health and be able to uh to know what their own personal triggers are uh just you know just being self-aware uh also uh as far as now like raising raising awareness for ways that you can get support because everybody uh doesn't have family unfortunately that they can uh depend on so there needs to be more awareness of different agencies or different organizations that can support can support people um and changing the narrative on that stigma changing the narrative saying it's okay to reach out it's okay to speak about whatever you need to speak about it's okay you know it's healing it's very much coming from a healing place so changing those things uh would be a big help. Thank you. Be a big much. help in my eyes. Thank that's you what very, I can see. Thank you very much for being on the show today, Miss Kimberly, and uh, thank you for what you do for Mission Twenty Two. Thank you so and, much. Hey, congratulations on the surprise. Thank you. Keep fighting every damn day. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Mr. Steve Doc. What what was what's something that you would like to see done starting? before the issues ever get too bad from basic training forward, you know, what is something that you would like to see to help these young men and women moving forward? Uh, a lot. Kim pretty much took a lot of what I was going to say, um, is that it's okay to reach out. It's okay not to be okay. Um, especially like, I did a Mission 22 event this past weekend called the PTS. It was the first annual PTSD awareness car show. And the guy that's, that put it on has a stepdaughter that is stationed up at Fort Bragg. 
And she's going through a lot right now because not only is she an 11 Bravo, which is infantry, she's also airborne. So she's getting the whole, you don't belong, you're, you shouldn't be here, and everything like that. And What's that now? Because I'm ignorant to a lot of stuff. Okay, 11 Bravo is infantry in the Army. An 11 Bravo, and then airborne is airborne. They, uh-huh. She basically parachutes out of the planes. Um, and there's not many women that are airborne and 11 Bravos. Okay. Um, because I hate to say it, the the males in the military don't think that females should be on the front lines. Okay. I'm not one of those. If you're going to serve your, if you're going to serve the, if you're going to serve your country, whether you're male female, whatever, whatever you identify as, uh, you should be able to serve your country. And that includes being up on the front line. As long as you know, hey, point it down range and shoot the people that are shooting at us and don't try to shoot us. I've seen plenty of women that could kick my ass. I ain't got a problem exactly. with it. Exactly. So I, 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 I have no problem. Well, I, he was worried about her because they were on the, the, the rifle range and one of her one of her fellow soldiers turned the gun on himself and pulled the trigger on the rifle range and she's going through a hard she's going through all the hard time which is except which is understandable because of what she saw and she wouldn't open up to her mom or him well down there at the event she actually opened up to me and started talking about it that is something that we not well yeah we as veterans and people that are active duty. And I hope that a lot of active duty personnel are listening to your podcast now is we need to be there for everyone. Don't, don't shame her just because she's a woman and you don't think that she should be on the front line. She could probably shoot a damn gun a lot better than you. I you never, promise know. You. You, never, you, never, you never know. You don't know what her qualifications is, what's going on with her and why she's doing what she's doing. By God, she signed the dotted line. She signed her life away to defend this country. If she ain't, if she goes to war and doesn't produce, then okay, then you've got something to say. But until then, shut up and just praise her and be like, hey, congratulations on being one of the fewest few women that are 11 bravos and airborne i'm one of these, i'm one of these people for all of y'all uh because I, I talk a lot of shit on the show uh i don't care what you are or what gender you are or whatever if you earn your position you earn your position exactly I, i'm a, as long as you earn your position the second that you get your position just because of gender i i have no respect for you but if you earn your position then i'm fine with it don't don't you shouldn't be given anything because of a gender but if you earn it and you can do the same thing as the person standing next to you i'm good with well and like with what you just said the bet the best reference for somebody on that is watch the movie with demi moore gi jane i don't think that's the best reference but yeah yeah great movie i'm sure i'm sure there's actually like a real ass woman out there that's done it but yeah I'm just kidding. But, I'm, I'm messing with you, Doc. I'm with you. Yeah, but you, you, you look at it, she got criticized because she was a woman, yet she was not going through because of the right reasons, because congressmen and congresswomen wanted a woman to go through budge training. But 
that's a good reference to how women are getting treated being on the front line. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, well, I, pr- I appreciate it, Doc. You did a hell of a job today. Uh, Miss Stephanie, what is uh, moving forward? What is something that you would love to see change to help these young men and women, uh, you know, from, uh, from boot camp on? I think the biggest piece is normalizing the conversations um, to take place that the conversations um, should be uh, not tailored around shame or um, inferiority, anything like that, Um, that having those safe spaces for people to be able to come to um, is key. And then I can can tell you for me, uh, the second piece of that is I wanna hold our elected politicians accountable. I, I wanna hold these people who stand you know, in, in the state of the union addresses and who stand in Washington, DC and represent each one of our states, they have to be accountable for this. And, and that's part of, part of what, um, I just really feel, um, paths have have opened, um, you know, thank Jesus for some, some contacts and things like that, because I think that we won't start to see that real trend in changing until we can start making it unified across the board. Um, and that has to start as a nation. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more that we can invest um, society in, in the struggles that our military, uh, service members, their families go through, because remember, if, if you don't take away anything today, Josh, other than less than 1% of the United States population will, will understand this. So it's our job to help raise that awareness and keep those conversations going. Absolutely. Great job, Miss Stephanie. It was a pleasure having you on, ma'am. Uh, Mr. Jason, same thing goes to you, Mr. Special K. <laughs> uh, I think I would just like to see, uh, especially, you know, when it comes to our officials, like she was talking about, the VA, just get rid of the red tape, put more funding into these programs for the, you know, the, the esketamine treatment. You know, now they're working, the doc told me they're working with the uh, cybacillin, and then they got some other things in, in the works. Uh, the whole thing coming back to medical marijuana, man, it's like, uh, for whatever reason, dude, they still do not want to touch medical marijuana. I mean, they don't know how to tax going, it. What's that? They don't know how to tax it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm specifically talking with the VA because that was my thing when I first got out, man, I got my medicinal card and, you know, I, I spent a little bit of time just trying to navigate through my way, uh, just smoking weed here and there. That was myself, uh, self counseling, I guess I could say, but, uh, the red tape, and I guess for the guys who were active duty, um, you know, I got out in 2017, and I was an Air France Division Chief. I was in quality assurance, maintenance control, you know, in the squadron. We were, I was a 46 mechanic, and then we transitioned over to B-22s. The Marine Corps changed a lot. Uh, they started uh, they started doing a lot of death by PowerPoints, you know, trying to be more vocal about the counseling, seeking help, the mental health aspect. But then they just they beat it to death, man. And it got to a point where, uh, for those who did speak up, uh, they were out of the shop and it was known that they were out of the shop getting help. I mean, somehow the word always got out and it, it carried over to, um, it just, it hindered their growth as not only as a Marine, but as somebody trying to seek help, you know what I'm saying? So if we could just get rid of all that red tape and as, as these guys talked about getting rid of the stigma, I think that would help. And if we just do more things like this, um, 
just talking about the treatments that we're going through and what's worked for us and just uh, just be able to get that word out. So anybody who has any doubt whatsoever, you can just get that doubt under control and move forward because that's what it's all about. Well, people like y'all, Jason, uh, Stephen, Stephanie, Kimberly, Kurt, Renee, the more that people talk about it, the less taboo it is. That, that, that's what people have to do is the way that works is the more people are on social media, the more than everyday life that you talk about it, the less taboo it becomes, the less that the next generation, this, the generations now are fucked. I mean, there, there's, there's no changing what's already in place now, but the next generation, it will not be tabooed for them to talk about mental health. That's what you have to understand is your, our doors might be closed, but our children's doors won't be our grandchildren's doors won't be. And that's what is we're all should be working for now is making the best life available for us and our kids, but our grandkids, those are the ones that we're really setting us up for mental health. Won't be an issue then like it is now. Uh, Kurt Renee, uh, y'all get the final word. And also thank you for bringing all this together. Uh, I know it'll help some people. I know it's going to push some people in the right direction. It's going to remind some folks that are not alone. And, uh, you know, just thank y'all for bringing us together today. Well, thanks for having us. So, you know, going back to that, and I think one of the main things, you know, we talk about the elected officials. Me and Renee personally went through something a couple weeks ago, and I lost my mind. So we found out that our kids were sent, were told to take a survey in school. Well, these are young minds. And the surveys that they were told to take in school asked them questions about when was the last time you smoked marijuana? When was the last time you took methamphetamines? When was the last time, you know, you were taking pills or, or drinking? And all these questions were tailored like a psychiatrist wrote them. Like in a psychiatric office, this was the setting. Our kids in schools have no business talking about that stuff. None whatsoever. None. Um, well, let me, I'll, I'll agree to disagree for a second. I have no problem with them talking about it or inquiring about it because that's how they help with their programs to know how to move forward to assist. However, it wasn't a question of have you, it was at what age did you? And I'm like, well, if a kid is never, there's no option to say never. There was not an option to say never. It was, it was, there was like four or five options. Obviously we didn't have the survey. We were able, it's a long story. That's a whole nother whole show. Other show. <laughs> we won't go there, but the point is. The, the point is, you know, our, our leaders at the top are accountable for that stuff. You know, I went straight to the superintendent. I went to the gov, I sent it to the governor's office. You know, there's there's people at the top that control that. You know, so the military side of things is controlled by the government as well, from top to bottom. And a prime another prime example, you know, looking for accountability of of leaders is uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Stuart Scheller, who was recently let go out of the Marine Corps for asking for accountability. You know, this is a Marine Corps decorated Marine Corps officer with combat time that all he said was he wanted accountability for the actions of his superiors. And he was absolutely right. 
Um, now there's things that I, I just like our previous president, there's things I agree with and things I don't agree with, but that's the beauty of this country is I can agree and I cannot agree with things. Um, they should have never done what they did to him. And he also should have never done some of the things he did. There was ways to go about it. Um, but there's gotta be accountability for the actions of the leaders in this country. All he ever had to do was shut the hell up and we would have been all right. Uh, you know how I feel. Everybody knows. I, I was not the biggest Trump guy, but I think he's a way better option than what we had now. Uh, I think he was great for a country as far as a businessman. Our country was way better off, obviously. Um, and you know what? Everybody else. I think the point that I was trying to make earlier when I said that, like, I like for our men and women in the military to be physically strong is because you usually don't mess with a physically strong person. You're usually intimidated by a physically strong person, right? Like you're scared of them. Well, when Trump was president, no other countries really messed with us. And now you see the way things are going when you have someone that is kind of weak at the top. And uh, I think weak's actually me being kind. Uh, but also, too, you have to know that you got to shut the hell up sometimes and say the Democratic thing. To me, I'm not a conservative. I'm, not a, I'm damn sure not a liberal. To me, democracy, the way that our country was set up, it was to be, we find the compromise that works for everybody. That is what democracy is, the middle of the road to where you are happy, I'm happy. We don't push our beliefs on each other, but we find common ground that works for every single person. And uh, Trump, he wasn't good at that. He wasn't good at that, but neither is this fucking guy. This guy sucks even worse, but in a whole different way. Now we're weak. Now we're weak and we suck at it. Trump, we were strong and he sucked at it. Go ahead, finish your thought. I don't know. I've just been wanting to say how bad I hate Biden right now because of gas prices and every fucking thing else right now. <laughs> you just gave me the opportunity. <laughs> I feel you. It cost me $150 to fill my truck up the other day. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyhow, so, but again, thank you. Thank everybody for being on with us and, and talking about true stories and, and things that uh, are, are not talked about day in and day out. Um, hopefully, there's veterans out there that will listen to the podcast. And we'll get a little bit of uh, guidance from it. If they have any questions, they can reach out to anybody on the podcast, I'm sure. Um, we can give them a little bit of direction uh, through any of the organizations that we do touch or are a part of. Um, most of them, veterans don't know about. So all they have to do is ask the questions, and hopefully we can point them in the right direction. That, that's the biggest key that I wanted you to make today before we get off of here, Kurt and Renee. Tell them how they can get in touch with either y'all directly or Mission 22 um, or the organization that we're uh, just had me up there, Creative Vets. A lot of what's the what's the fight the war within um, and Savannah uh, for Ward project that I just had on the show here recently up in. Uh, I just had them on. Um, there's so many organizations. There's so many that are willing to help you put you in the right direction to be your support system. And uh, they, they, they just don't know. People just don't know unless you just really just constantly, you got to nag. You know how Renee probably nags the shit out of you, Kurt? That's what you really got to do to people. Really got to do to people about this mental health shit. You got to nag folks to the point to where you just can't help but listen and love. Sorry, Renee. Jason, you got something else? Oh, I just had a question for Josh. Is wrapping us up, jo uh, Josh? You were in Nashville, right? 
Uh, I am in Georgia, but I'm back and forth between Georgia and Nashville. Okay, I'm actually from Ashland City, man. Have you made out that way yet? No, where's Ashland City? It's, it's uh, close about, to Nashville. It's about 15, 20 minutes outside Nashville. Oh, so, so I'll be there in two weeks. Uh, I'm going to come – oh, no, you live in San Diego now, though, right? I live in San Diego now, but I'll be back in uh, Nashville uh, next month, man. So uh, I'm going to so contact think, you offline. Yeah, I'm going to see – yeah, we definitely are. We definitely All are. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your time. For burn, me some, burn me some of that ketamine. <laughs> Will do. Don't think I won't try drugs. Anything to make this fucking brain better. I'm down for it, bro. Uh, all right, go ahead, Kurt Renee, before I get a whole lot of trouble from sponsors. This show is brought to you by Two Pilots Distillery. <laughs> you ain't going to get in trouble with us. It's all good. Uh, thank you again, again, you know, everybody for being on. Um, Mission 22, if somebody wants to contact them, they can get online, uh, mission22.com, straight through there, Fight the War Within, uh, on Facebook, Instagram, also um, Forward Project that Josh was working with. There's so many of them out there. Um, we know that uh, veterans are getting help through the Lone Survivor Foundation. Um, they've got retreats and stuff going on across the country. So there's a lot of things. Um, walk for vets. There's a guy walking across the country here and there. Um, our Jeep just went on a trip. Uh, it's been in 27 states in 30, the last 30 days to uh, go to the state capitals and bring awareness to veteran suicide. So there's a lot of stuff that we're putting in the works and things that we're doing throughout the year that hopefully we can uh, help assist. And they can go to twopilotsdistillery.com on our website. On If they click more, there's a page there that we list numerous nonprofits and resources for veterans. So it's just twopilotsdistillery.com. Click more and you'll see that page. Awesome. Well, thank each and every one of y'all for being on the show, taking time out of your Saturday morning. Um, this has been great. And uh, thank each and every one of y'all for listening to the Josh Terry Podcast. Go follow all these amazing people. I'm going to have their links at the bottom of the show on Apple and on Spotify and iHeartRadio. And, uh, hey, you don't have to uh, volunteer your time to Mission 22 or any of these uh, organizations that we listed. It would be great if you did. But find a veteran organization. Volunteer your time. A little bit of cash if you can. Reach out to a veteran in your community. Um, if you know somebody that is a veteran and you just pay attention to their social media. If nothing else, pay attention to their social media. If you see something that's a little bit off, just ask them if it's okay. Just ask them if they're okay. Ask them if you know if you can, you know, just talk to them. Be their friend. If you got a VA in your area, go volunteer. There's a lot of men and women that are sitting down there that don't have family that uh, just go be a friend to them. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do that don't take anything more than your time. These men and women have uh, put their lives on the line and made an ultimate sacrifice, uh, are willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for us. So give a little bit of your time and just give something back. Uh, thank each and every one of y'all for listening to the Josh Terry Podcast. I love y'all. Catch you next time.